Well, hello and welcome to the Wednesday version of Bulls Beat. Thanks for checking us out. We were going to have a full doubleheader preview for you here, but you probably know before you're listening to this that it will be a uh, single header. That's not really a term, is it? Just one game at the Yingling Center, 4 o'clock women's basketball against Jacksonville. We will preview the game in full in our next segment. We'll do some women's basketball in this segment. What has happened since we last left the air on Bulls Beat? Again, we're on the holiday schedule of three shows per week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And, of course, next week we'll start to get more into the swing of things. Back on the daily schedule and, frankly, back on campus more often as been taking December, kind of taking it easy a little bit after football season ended and we had the holiday journey to the Bahamas with women's basketball. Kind of realized how much work goes into the football season, so hopefully you don't mind the fact that we haven't had a show every day for you here on USF Bulls Unlimited, but... We're going to be back to that daily schedule next week and starting to seek out more interviews, maybe some catch-up interviews with the head coaches of the various sports whose teams will be getting back to action pretty soon. February, it is going to be hot and heavy, man. I looked at the schedules for that period of about a month when softball and baseball are just starting and, of course, basketball is still going. We are going to have so much action here on USF Bulls Unlimited. Thank goodness for Jay Retcher, who will be with us for a third year helping us out because he's going to get put to work. There's going to be a couple weekends, for example, where I'll be on the road with women's basketball. Baseball and softball will both be at home. And we only have so many announcers on Bulls Unlimited, so we'll actually do what we did last year thanks to the ESPN Plus folks for allowing us to simulcast certain games, and that's how we'll have to do it. But Jay will be able to help out on baseball, and boy, especially with softball playing a lot of these multi-team events, there are going to be so many games on the weekends. There will certainly be some triple headers that yours truly will pull off, but hey, we love bringing all the action to you. And of course, when we look at the schedule, there's always the asterisk that goes next to everything. And on Monday's show, I kind of put a big one on the double header saying, You just never know if two games are going to get played. And indeed, before we get into the women's game that's actually on the schedule, the men's game not going to happen. It was curious how it happened on Tuesday with Mississippi Valley State first making the announcement that the game at USF was canceled. Didn't say why, just said it was canceled. Did a little digging, got a little help from a man named Michael Kelly and realized that the reason that USF hadn't announced it just yet is because the Bulls were frantically trying to get another opponent to play. In the game, and frankly, if you look at it, Mississippi Valley State, although I was a fan of their head coach, Lindsey Hunter, as a player, he hasn't got them going this year on the court yet. 0-10 and giving up 90 points per game. And, of course, that would have been a victory, you'd think, for the Bulls, but would not have helped their computer rankings, as the Delta Devils are ranked 354th out of 358 teams. So the Bulls were hoping to replace them on the schedule. Instead, we'll go right into conference play against East Carolina, and of course, we all hope that game happens on Saturday. Boy, looking at the college basketball slate last night, tonight, pretty much half the games are not getting played, and with this, what's happening in mind, the American Athletic Conference athletic directors convened on Monday, and we'll do more conference stuff at the end of the hour. Boy, there's plenty when it comes to Houston winning the bowl game last night, uh, basketball, and a lot of other stuff, so remember, on Wednesday and Friday, we do the Bulls beat portion of the hour we replay the show twice each hour and then give you the conference show at the end of the hour it'll be pretty long today but we'll go ahead and tell you this because it's something that directly impacts the bulls and with their game against east carolina this week you got to remember 
Only Tulane on the women's side has had to pause due to COVID, and that was a bummer for them because they were off to a pretty good start. On the men's side, three teams have had to pause. Tulane, Memphis, and Houston. So there's a likelihood that we could be coming to situations where games might not get played at all. The Bulls are scheduled to host Houston next Wednesday, then go to Tulane right after that. Now Tulane and Memphis are ready to get back at it tonight, so that's going to be worth keeping an eye on. But regardless, if games do not get played, they are going to be declared no contest unless the individual schools can work out a makeup date. In other words, it won't be up to the league to do this big schedule juggle if many games get canceled. The key number is seven, and this goes back to Monday, unanimously approved this policy by the Americans' ADs, and that is that a team must have a minimum of seven eligible scholarship players and at least one coach, of course, to be available for a conference game. Any team with less than seven can still play the game if they want. Of course, you have walk-ons and non-scholarship players, that kind of thing. But if you do not have enough players to play the game, it'll be canceled and a no contest, and that's that. As I said, the involved schools do have the discretion to reschedule a game, but it's not mandatory. Now, here's the other part of it. If a team decides to not play in a game for anything unrelated to COVID, or of course, if there's a game when maybe you have the eligible players and you decide you don't want to play it for whatever reason, then you take a forfeit loss in the standing. So basically, I think this announcement is to make sure that teams don't conveniently say they can't play a game because, hey, sometimes that stuff happens. And let me go on that soapbox for a little bit of a second here when it comes to these teams pulling out of bowl games. Now, listen, I understand the seriousness of COVID-19. I've got vaccinated, boosted, wear a mask, and all that stuff. And I realize when it's legitimate, then teams shouldn't be playing. But just look at it this way. If there was a 12-team college football playoff, pretty sure we wouldn't have certain teams that are on that fringe deciding they can't play. But that's kind of going back to this basketball policy with the American deciding that seven is the number of eligible players you must have to be able to go forward with the game. And if you decide not to, then you take a loss in the standings. The other interesting part of this is that teams will be required to play at least 75% of the average number of conference games. So not the number of games on your schedule. Incidentally, the women play a 16-game schedule and the men play 18. It's the average number of conference games that actually get played if you do not meet that 75% mark, basically, and this is no small thing, you will get seated underneath the group of teams that do play at least 75%. So let's say, for example, there were eight teams that get in enough games and three that don't. Well, let's say that one of the three that don't is above 500 in conference play and would have been maybe the fourth seed. Nope, they would be the ninth seed. They would get seated within the group of teams that didn't play that 75%. And that would go after the teams that did play the full schedule get seeded. So, yeah, pretty much means that you're going to have teams trying their best to get in games when they can't. But, of course, this is a non-conference game we'd be talking about today against Mississippi Valley State. Now, part of the fun today was supposed to be with the doubleheader. At halftime of the men's game, there was going to be, and this is still something that's going to happen with the women's game, a big photo op at halftime for the USF Twitter herd. You know about that if you're on Twitter, hashtag USF Twitter herd. Well, if you come to the Yingling Center and mention hashtag USF Twitter herd today, 
you still get free admission. It was going to be free admission to two games, but it's still free admission to the women's game, and there's still going to be this big, hopefully big, photo opportunity at halftime that we'll give full play-by-play on. So if you want to join us for some Wednesday afternoon basketball, and you don't want to have to pay for it, just mention the USF Twitter herd. And speaking of the game, we'll preview it for you next. We'll tell you a little bit more about the women's basketball team. One of their members got mentioned on the weekly honors. We'll have highlights of why. Interesting stuff from the rankings. The Bulls are still in the rankings. We'll tell you where. And if you're wondering with the men's game scheduled for the second part of the doubleheader, was there some thought to moving the women's game back? Of course there was. But remember, JU, well, is in Jacksonville, and that's kind of a long bus ride afterwards, so they didn't want to make the Dolphins get home or what would be around 2 a.m. probably, right? So it lightens our play-by-play load. Hopefully you've been enjoying what we've been doing on Bulls Unlimited 2, playing the best games of 2021. Actually, Wednesday afternoon is going to be kind of a summary of the best games of late 2021 for women's basketball with new and improved restored audio. If you had listened to some past playbacks of Stanford, I realized that the play-by-play announcer got a little excited, sounded like he was swallowing the microphones at the time. Actually, that was the recording of the game, but... Thank goodness Steve Carney had a backup file of every game so far this season, and the new and improved, well, I don't quite fritz the microphone out. In fact, just the second half of the VCU game, that fourth quarter comeback, which, oh, by the way, turned out to be a pretty important comeback for the Bulls, and if it doesn't happen, they're not in the top 25 right now. Not only did they come back from down 16 at VCU to win, they did it with three players, not regular players, going the entire fourth quarter. It's just remarkable that two of them, namely Ariel Wilson and Sarah Guerrero, did not even get on the floor in their last game against Ole Miss. So that shows you how wild and important, maybe, to keep them ranked and in the running for a regional host in the NCAA tournament that game was against VCU. But here's just an example. The play that put the Bulls in the lead for the first time after being behind by 16. Original recording where it's a little fritzy and the restored audio, which you can hear in full this afternoon. There's a pass by Pinzon to Dulce. Has a little trouble handling it. Up and in and one! The Bulls take the lead! There's a pass by Pinzon to Dulce. Has a little trouble handling it. Up and in and one! The Bulls take the lead! So you can catch the full Stanford game on replay on Wednesday afternoon, the second half of the VCU game, and will lead up to our 345 pregame with the most recent victory against West Virginia, which got Elena Chnecki a spot on the American Athletic Conference weekly honor roll. Here's some of why. She really took over in the second half of this game, only had six points in the first half, but as part of the Bulls breaking it out against the Mountaineers. Here's Elena Chinecki. Pins on, over to Dulce, top of the key. Oh, there's Chinecki, wide open for three. That's got to go up, and it's in. Elena Chinecki put those up. Three points, 39-28. to 28. Elena Chinecki. Gets the pass from Dulce. Boys pins on over to Manunga, almost blows a pass through Chinecki, but she handles the ball. Now wants to drive, pick and roll at the Dulce baseline, looks off of that jumper, and it is. Actually, Betty gets her hand on the ball to Chinecki. Another second chance point. Lena Chinecki makes it 43-30. to I think West Virginia actually is going to get credit for that rebound, but Manunga with the steal, and now there's a wild shot missed by the Mountaineers. Bulls look to run. Manunga up to Pinzon, underneath to Dulce, up and in! Dulce Fankamangiadu puts it over the six foot six player, and the Bulls have their biggest lead, and the Mountaineers call timeout. It's 45 to 30. Third chance at this possession for the Bulls. Second chance points favor them 10 to three, and even if they don't score here, they prolong the game by a minute, reduce the amount of time that West Virginia has to try and make some sort of rally here. 
Janecki with the ball now wants to drive. Much taller player and one! I don't know how she got it over. The six foot one, Kari Nyblak, who they call Nyblak for her great bats in that category. And Janecki didn't care. Threw it up and over her. They're not gonna catch up as long as the Bulls hang on to the ball. Maria gets it. 5.19 to go. Oh, Chinecki blows by an opponent there. Deans as it's 72 to 45. Lena Chinecki on 18 points. Absolutely put Deans in her tracks. As they're letting some clock wind here. Seven. Chinecki whips it into Dulce, grabs it and lays it in. Great pass. Dulce shielded off her defender. She's now five of eight. And the Bulls are right on 60%. Janecki puts up a long two, back in stride early in the shot clock, and why not? She's been tremendous, give her 20 points, and they lead at 76-49. You know, it's funny, I was at both games, and if you ask me who was the best player for the Bulls, or at least did the best job in both games combined, I would have given you Sidney Harvey just because of the full context, because of the fact that last time she was actually on the floor before last week, she had not made a field goal, and then had sat out the previous game against High Point and put together two solid outings back-to-back. And also Maria Alvarez would have been the second player because I mentioned how a couple players didn't even see the floor against Ole Miss. The Bulls really just went seven deep in that game. But she very valuably came off the bench and is back to her three-point shooting ways. But Elena Chinecki is the one that got honored by the conference as part of its Players of the Week. She was not a quote-unquote Player of the Week, but on the weekly honor roll with her 15-point average. And when you score 20 in one game, that sort of grabs the attention. It also got her back atop the team lead in scoring average, 12.7, just a tenth of a point ahead of Sidney Harvey. Dulce Fink and Mengiadu has gotten into double figures in scoring with 10.3 per game, and Elisa Pinzon rounds that out. Now, speaking of scoring averages, interesting stuff from JU. No one in double figures. We'll talk more about the opponent in just a minute, but I mentioned the rankings, and the Bulls are still in both polls. And I tell you who I would understand would be a little bit miffed by the polls, and I'm not complaining, obviously. USF did drop seven spots, according to the coaches, but they're still in the top 25 at number 23. The only four-loss team in the top 25. Same according to the writers where the Bulls slid four spots to number 22. Ole Miss has got to be thinking, wait a second, because of course Ole Miss is 12-1, and one, Bulls 9-4, and four, beat them head-to-head, Ole Miss did against the Bulls. They got three votes from the writers and one solitary vote from the coaches. And what that tells you is how impressive the Bulls schedule truly is. We knew that already, but this is how it's viewed nationally when you beat Stanford which is still number two in the AP rankings none of the top 13 changed Stanford lost well it lost to unanimous number one South Carolina I mentioned the Bulls being the only four loss team in the top 25 well Stanford is second in the country and they've lost three games one of them to the Bulls of course to number one South Carolina and the other to a top 15 team in Texas so you know Disappointing loss to Ole Miss, obviously, but yeah, you look at the game we just had highlights of, an example of a big win for the Bulls, 20 points against West Virginia, and that's what's been carrying so much weight for them. And as we know, rankings only go so far. Net ranking for the Bulls is 31. 
What really matters is what the NCAA Tournament Committee is going to have to say. Similar to the college football rankings that had, you know, Cincinnati number two for a while, and the folks at the college football playoff were going to wait until the very last moment to actually pop them into the top four, forget number two. What's really most relevant for the Bulls is will they have a top four seed in their region next to their eventual spot in the NCAA tournament bracket. If you are in the top four, that means you are a regional host, and that is what the Bulls shoot for. So right now, they are projected by the Joe Lenardi of women's basketball. That's ESPN's Charlie Cream. As far as I know, he's the only one that does a projected bracket nationally. Has the Bulls as the number seven seed, and that really does feel about right. This was after their loss to Ole Miss. He actually had Ole Miss as a number eight seed. If you're curious, Charlie Cream had the Bulls going to Louisville in the first round. That's the one thing we know about this year's tournament. If the Bulls aren't going to be at home, they are going to get to go somewhere not in the state of Florida. And I'll have to relive the whole history with USF getting put in perhaps not appropriate seeded situations because of geography. And Florida State has namely been the location that the Bulls have been sent off to. Well, FSU is not going to get a national seed this year. So if the Bulls don't get to host, they'll be going somewhere out of state. That we can tell you. It is very important to note that the Bulls, 9-4, and four, of course, have played 13 teams. Six of them are projected in the field. Stanford, of course, projected as a number one seed, as is UConn. Tennessee, of course, another team that the Bulls fell to is projected to be in the field. We just told you Ole Miss. West Virginia, although the Mountaineers, are getting one of the last four spots in the last bracketology. Remember, 68 teams. The tournament has expanded this year. That is a big deal, and I think could help the American Athletic Conference, frankly, as Tulsa is projected to make the field as well. But we're just talking about the teams that the Bulls have actually played. Six of them, not from the American Athletic Conference, are projected in the NCAA tournament. The other being Oregon, which has slid out of the top 25, but of course they've had their injuries, and they and Stanford, incidentally, have still had to cancel games. Both the teams the Bulls played in West Palm had to have their next games canceled. They're not going to start up until after we get to 2022. And the nice little note I mentioned, last four in for West Virginia, well, one of the first four out is Syracuse. Since they left the island, they've only lost one game. Since they left the Bahamas, they went 0-3, but that's a team the Bulls beat and has put together a nice little season since. Of course, you want that. You want the teams that you play out of conference to put together nice seasons. As far as today's opponent, is a very interesting one. The JU Dolphins, 4-17 and last year, 7-3 and this year. So already you know they're improved. Funny enough, they had a coaching change, but not at head coach. Darnell Haney's in his fourth year. He has a completely new assistant staff. Three new assistants. We'll tell you more about them, of course, during our broadcast today. But they start off their season at Minnesota. You figured, 4-17 and last year, they'll start off with a loss. They beat the Gophers, and they're 7-3. and If I stopped there, you'd think, wow, this is a tough team and definitely an improved team. But you dig a little deeper, since that win against Minnesota, 69-66, which I'm not casting any downward light on. That's a team, the Gophers, that's 500, but still a Big Ten team in their place. Yeah. But 7-3 and again is their record. You look at their net ranking, and you see, first of all, that Jacksonville is ranked 223rd. Their actual record is 3-3 three and three because four of their wins have come against non-Division I teams. They followed up the win at Minnesota with a lackluster 69-64 performance against Edward Waters. Now, Edward Waters is an 11-5 and NAIA team, but still... 
Then they go to FSU and get beat by 25. Then they host a Division I school, Presbyterian, and they lose. And by the way, the Presbyterian team is 5-5 five and five this year. Their other Division I wins are over FAMU, which is having a poor year, and 35-33 at FIU. As unimpressive as that win was, it still did begin a five-game winning streak that included victories over Ave Maria, Warner, and Weber International. They returned to play 16 days ago and lost by 17 at South Carolina Upstate. They were supposed to play North Carolina, which incidentally is undefeated, but that game got canceled due to COVID reasons. So JU is, first of all, a team that hasn't played in a while, and secondly, might not be your typical 7-3 and three team. But they definitely, and this goes back to that Minnesota win to start the season, have picked up some big transfers. You can't just change your coaching staff and expect to win some games, including one that played at Virginia Tech last year and averaged nine points and six rebounds for a good team, Asia Jones, a six foot three forward. So with a player like that, might explain why you can go to Minnesota to start the season and not be intimidated. Taylor Hawks, another transfer. She's from Jacksonville State. So first of all, mark down that game Saturday, February the 5th, Jacksonville at Jacksonville State in Alabama. Secondly, Hawks, a 5'6 guard in that game against Minnesota, 15 points, 6 assists, and 5 rebounds. And oh, by the way, that is JU's first win ever over a Big Ten opponent. They also added a player who started every game the last two years at Charleston Southern, Carmella Walker. So they've added some big-time experience. All three of those players are starters. Incidentally, another starter who scored 12 points last year and led them in steals and assists and three-point makes, Deshari Graham, has been out. But again, they haven't played in 16 days, so she could be back. And they've added another starter, freshman 5'10 guard, Jalissa Dunlap. She scored 13 against Minnesota, went 5 for 7. Now she was 3 for 26 over the next four games, but she's heated back up. It's all relative, of course, because it's been so long since the Dolphins have played, but it all adds up to a balanced team. You look at their stats, Hawks, again, she is the transfer from Jacksonville State, who scored 15 points against Minnesota, leads them with 9.3 points per game, also leads them in shot attempts. Not a good three-point shooting team, less than 27% from the floor. Also should mention Shania Jackson, though she doesn't start. Another transfer, yep, six foot one from East Tennessee State. Both she and, again, the 6'3 transfer from Virginia Tech, Asia Jones, are shooting better than 53% from the floor this year. So it's a confident team, although, generally speaking, since they lost their last game by 17 and haven't played since, one that you'd think the Bulls would still have the better of. Last time they played last year, they certainly had the better of them, but that was a much different team across the way. Said we mentioned football and softball. Football simply to mention, happy birthday to Jeff Scott. That was yesterday. The head coach of the Bulls also see that Blake Green has gotten an invite to play in the Tropical Bowl, one of those, of course, college showcases trying to get to the next level. Games and softball officially announced another future new member of the Bulls, not for this season, but for the next class. She's Jaden Martinez at a Tallahassee Childs High School, went 11-5 and pitching and hit 391 is a lefty, and Ken Erickson says, yeah, she is a lefty pitcher who will help us offensively when she's not pitching. So that's for next season. This season, again, will start in the middle of February. We'll be on the air at 345. Don't forget, hashtag USF Twitter herd gets you in free for today's game. If you can't make it, we'll have it for you live on USF Bulls Unlimited. This has been Bulls Beat for Wednesday. Thanks for listening. I'm Derek Sharp.